Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things parenting and mental health. When you're done listening, please rate, review, and subscribe. Today, I am so excited to have on Clay Drinko, who is an educator and the author of Play Your Way Sane, 120 Improv-Inspired Exercises to Help You Calm Down, Stop Spiraling, and Embrace Uncertainty. Clay earned his PhD in Drama and Theater Studies and has two master's degrees, and for the past decade has researched improvisation and its applications. Clay's research explores improvisation's effects on consciousness and cognition while comparing these theories to current findings in cognitive neuroscience, psychology, and philosophy. In short, he says, this stuff is all backed by research and science. Welcome, Dr. Clay. Should I call you doctor? Uh, that seems very serious. You can just call me Clay. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on. This is like, for me, your the idea of addressing mental health and anxiety and just the chatter in our brain from the perspective that includes improv is not even something I've ever dreamed of. So I am truly going to be learning as I'm just talking to you today because I'm very interested in your thoughts and you elaborating on some things. So I will start by saying I love that you talk about play um, as a part of self-help. I am a play therapist. So I want to hear more about what do you mean? Let's start from the beginning. What do you mean by play your way sane? Play your way sane is my take on mindfulness and mental health, but its emphasis is not on the seriousness and the like the stakes being really high and, you know, you have to meditate 10 minutes a day. Like really I wanted to set out to create something that felt improvisatory in the writing. It felt fun. It felt like you were getting my personality. And then each of the games in there felt like something that was fun for people to try. And that, you know, there's something in improv called status. that's different than what a lot of people think of as status. And it's the idea that like, I really wanted to lower like how I was coming across as in like, I didn't want to be this know-it-all smarty pants. I really wanted something that felt accessible and that people could make mistakes and try stuff and experiment all while being playful and curious and benefiting their mindfulness and mental health. So that was the, that was the aim. So were you into like, I mean, you have two master's degrees. What are you, what are they in? <laughs> the first one is performance studies. That was me hedging my bets. I'm from Ohio. I went to uh, undergrad in Ohio. And so I said, all right, I'm going to go to New York and be this, this starving artist. But let me also go to NYU and get my master's in performance studies from Tisch. Super practical. <laughs> and then I also went and got my PhD in drama and theater studies from Tufts. And then it was after that, that's when I really got into the improv research. It was really in my PhD program, and that was my dissertation. And then the book came out of that research, my academic book. And then after that, I ended up sort of falling into teaching middle and high school. Uh, I was doing teaching artist work after I already had a PhD, and I didn't have the qualifications to be a middle and high school teacher. So they invited me. They said, we love you. The kids love you. I was working in the Bronx at the time and, and I loved it. And so then I went back to school again, even though I promised I wouldn't. And I got another master's in education, adolescent education. Oh my gosh. 
Wow, that's a lot of education for something that doesn't always sound so serious. Like improv to me, I watch improv. We we have we had a friend who did it for a long time and we would go and I would to be honest, I would feel so uncomfortable sometimes because I'm a crazy empath, so I would feel like, "Oh my god, but how would they get how are they going to know what to say and what to do?" So I'm sitting there stressing when I know I shouldn't be stressing. How did you make that connection and leap? And where does where does like psychology and philosophy and self-help merge for you? And like, how did, so how did that happen? And when did that happen? And what's your kind of personal story around coming to that? Sure, 20 years ago is, it might be a little more than 20 years ago. In undergrad, I uh, auditioned for an improv troupe. I didn't really know what it was at the time, but my friends said, hey, you're funny. So I was like, okay, sure, I'm funny. Let's do this. And so it really was just, this audition was just playful and fun and and being creative and making things up as I went. And I really enjoyed it. I got in and then, you know, we rehearsed every week. I loved everyone that I performed with and we performed to packed, lively crowds. And it was after a year of really practicing the improv principles, which is agreeing with my scene partners and adding on, not allowing there to be any mistakes, like justifying mistakes and keeping the scenes moving, making everyone else look good. Like really practicing those principles for a year, I started to get it and then it became effortless for me. And I had this experience where I wouldn't remember performing when we had a performance. Like I would go on stage and the next thing I remembered was like taking about the end. And you know, I would watch the the tapes after and I was the best version of myself. Like I was charismatic and connected. And so it was really at that point that the seed was planted. I wanted to figure out what was it about improv that allowed me to be this best version of myself. And like, how could I tap into that so I could have more of that in my everyday life? Because I'm very honest in the book, in my everyday life, I am a worrier. I am anxious, socially anxious you know, just really struggle to be in the moment. I'm I'm a, a very great overthinker. And so really, you know, I, I did my research to answer what, what was it on improv that was allowing me to do this. And it was at that point that I realized in my PhD program that I wasn't getting any of the benefits in my everyday life. And that's when I started applying it and creating play away saying, like, I wanted a roadmap for me so that I could have fun ways to stop overthinking and just enjoy the moment. So do you think it's similar to like a cognitive rehearsal? That's what I would do maybe with someone that I'm working with. You know, they're worried, literally, this is an example from today, you know, about the lunchroom and high school. Who do I sit with? I don't know if this group wants me to sit with them. So I might say, well, let's do a rehearsal. Let's do a visualization of the way you want it to go. Is it similar or is this something different? For me, it always goes back to a shift in focus. So I feel like it's probably pretty different than that because I wouldn't want to rehearse that. Like I would really want to tap in for me personally. Mm -hmm. I would want to tap into this improv thinking, which is putting all of my focus on the other person, which seems counterintuitive, right? Because as an overthinker, if I'm thinking about this other person, you know, am I going to think like, what are they thinking about me? Why did they raise their eyebrow? Why are they making that face? That's why you have to figure out how can I shift my focus in a way that is not scary. So, so there, there's a game in the book called Curious Detective, 
where I really just pretend I'm this detective. And instead of worrying about myself, I really am trying to figure out like, who is this person? Like what's going on with them? What are they interested in? Like, what can I talk about that's gonna get them to really come alive? And that, like my brain cannot think about the fact that I sound, maybe I sound stupid or they don't like me. I can't think about that and really focus on the other person at the same time. So for me, it's that shift in focus from internal to worry and fear to like a fully altruistic kind of external focus. Okay. So I I'm following you now. So give me an example. You know, if you were using these an improv technique or talking to a teenager about it and that's their, their worry or stress is like, you know, who am I going to sit next to at lunch or whatever? How would you use that technique to help you through that situation? Yeah, I think one of the one of the things I would do is there's a there's a whole lesson in the book, a whole chapter about how you aren't special. And oh, like, I, I might that. really start there because I, I thank you. That was funny. I think, no, let's you know, be proper about it though. The title is actually Your Mother Was Wrong, You're Not Special. So I thought that was really uh, funny. I, thank you. I think if I think I'm special or I focus more on myself and what I'm thinking and what's going on for me, then I'm not, I'm not picking up on all the things that are actually going on around me. So for me, I might play a game with that teenager where they're really trying to take in the room as like all of its moving parts, like really being curious about these other people and not being really making them aware that everyone has these sort of thoughts that you do to some capacity or another, these like self-conscious thoughts. And so there are games to just sort of get yourself out there. I do something called the small talk challenge when I'm feeling really closed off and I struggle to like talk to people. I just force myself to chat with at least one person in every space that I go that has people. And once I start doing it, it's like a kind of exposure therapy. I do it and I go, oh, wait, that wasn't a great conversation, but I'm fine. And it was kind of nice to just talk to someone, even if it didn't go well, because that's also what some of the research is starting to show with improv itself. It helps with social anxiety because it is a kind of exposure therapy, especially in conjunction with, with cognitive behavioral therapy, because you are doing the thing that you're most afraid of and actually getting rewarded for doing it because it's fun, you're connecting with people, uh, and it feels really, really good. And I think the same thing can apply in our everyday life. So when you, when you say improv, is it like acting? Like, are you essentially like, I'm going to play the role of a person who is a detective or is really curious? Like, is it like that? Or is it, it's just about a mindset? It's more about a mindset. There are games in, in the book where I, you know, you're supposed to pretend you're an alien. You pretend you're a reporter like Oprah, you know, really getting to the bottom of things. And for me, that's more about tapping into a playful, childlike sense of, of curiosity, inquisitiveness, and wonder, much more than it is about acting. Like, because really, no one should know that you're acting, right? No one should know that you're playing these games. It's just something that you can think. It's a mindset to help you get out of your head and be more playful and, and be more connected with people. Have you heard from people who thought this would be a struggle for them and they were actually able to do it? Like maybe somebody who's not very playful. Like I work with so many kids 
and they often want more playfulness with their parents. And I find that adults are not great players. They're not light. They don't want to, you know, play these imaginative games or whatever, you know, maybe they could play like a board game, but they don't, they're not, that's not a comfort zone for them. So have you, do you have any stories or just examples of people actually tapping into their playfulness? Yes, mainly from people who say, when I was reading, I kept thinking like, how was he in my head? Because I, I tried to be so forthcoming and so open and so honest, which is a big departure for me coming from academic writing, you know, academic publishing. And so people really have been responding to the fact, you know, that they're not alone. Like, I think those thoughts too. And so I think that helps them tap into that playful side and say, like, if he can do it, he's just as, you know, he's he's in just as much struggle as I am in this everyday life, then I can do it too. And so I've really got a big response from people like that. Just like when I was teaching, I always got the best response when I was doing improv with the shy students. So I think there's something about people who are, you know, sort of struggling to make those connections. They seem to be able to tap into this playfulness um, through this book the most so far. So do you see this since my audience is more, you know, people who are looking for parenting advice and parenting tips, can you talk about some of the exercises like you you also have a chapter that's titled killing debbie downer which i thought was really funny you know like take the long cut home actually that i do i do myself but can you talk about how you could see this working between parent child you don't have to know how to do improv to be able to apply the techniques of this book maybe even into just strengthening your relationship with your child a hundred percent no one that was the point of the book is that people who People have said, like, oh, I've always wanted to take an improv class. They can get something out of the book. But also the people who say, I never want to take an improv class. I've taken the principles, and it is nothing like improv, you know, once you're doing it. It's just you going about your every day. And I think it's, in a way, easier and better to do this with children because you're really learning from them, right? They're really teaching you as you're doing these exercises how to be more playful, how to not let mistakes really get you down. There's a game in the book, what is it? Children's Zoo or something, where you're just supposed to like watch children messing up because they're so good at it and they recover so well. And I think one of the best things in the in the book, improv-wise, to do with kids is the yes and activities. And that's just co-creation, right? So you can do it as a creative exercise. Like if you're if your kid says, you know, I'm a dragon. You're like, yeah, that's great. And is your tail really long? Yeah. And, and you like, you go with it and you can add more details. Or you can do that when your child is not playing. Like I do this with my daughter all the time to avoid conflict and to allow her to struggle and grow and, and figure out her own self and, and gain her own independence. I have a, you know, one incident where she was much smaller. She was probably two. And she said, you know, I gave her an avocado and she said, like, I don't want you to, I don't want you to cut it. I don't want you to peel it. And I was like, well, normally I would have said like, that's not reasonable. But instead I guess and it. And I wanted her to discover it on her own. And I said, sure, here you go. And she bit into it, couldn't, gave it back and said, here, daddy, can you please peel it? And so it's this really fascinating thing because 
I learned through yes anding that I usually say no to my daughter when I want to avoid seeing her struggle or I want to avoid her making messes. And that's not cool. What is it to be a human? You make messes and you struggle. And so the yes and thing I think is a great tool for parents um, to really allow their kids to, it's just like what you talk about in your book, allowing your kids to figure their own world out instead of you sort of helicoptering. Yeah, I, I love that. I really have to emphasize some of what you just said. So you just said something about we, I'm, I'm going to generalize it now, that we as parents oftentimes say no when we want to have, you know, protect our child in a sense because we don't want to see them fail or see something go wrong or maybe conflict will arise. So we say no. And you're suggesting another way, which I know for sure even for someone listening who's like, I can't imagine that, that just like lots of other things, if you practice it, it really will become, it'll just come right out of your mouth. You won't have to think about it. You won't have to be like, okay, so what should I say in this situation? I love that. And the second piece is that yes, and I really, it's so important that that's a very, at least in my world, it's something we do a lot, like yes, and, you know, and we sort of lead people there. But I love your examples, and I'd like you to give another one of maybe like a common parenting type of situation where a parent can, you know, continue to apply that yes and mentality. I think it's that important. My daughter is a big um, risk taker, like a lot of children are. She wants to be the one who's on top of the monkey bars and, and really taking those risks. And my instinct is to say no to that. I want to keep her safe. I don't want to go to the hospital. So if I'm thinking in terms of yes and, my job becomes supporting her and supporting her testing her limits because that's her job as a kid is to test her limits. I want her to get stronger. I want her to be the the toughest kid on the playground, right? Like I want her to, to really soar. And so yes and, I have to figure out how can I support you? So maybe two things can exist at the same time. Maybe my daughter can really want to, you know, do this really scary, dangerous thing. And I really want to keep her safe. Those two things can coexist and we can meet somewhere in the middle and I can have her do whatever it is she wants to do in a safer way. I think that's another example is really thinking in terms of these two different realities can coexist. We can both be right. And I think that's where yes and comes in. Okay. So... I mean, again, maybe this is just my term, but I want to role play that example that you just said. So I'm your daughter. Uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> I'm your daughter. And we're at the playground and I say, Daddy, Daddy, I want to go to the very, very top of the tree over there. And I want to swing. Can I go? Can I go? Hey, that sounds amazing. That sounds really tough. How are you going to do that? Like, come on, let's go over. Show me like, how are you going to do that? I want to see. I'm just going to climb. Watch me. Okay. I want to come over. I want to come over and just be here and you let me know if you need any help. Perfect. So the yes and the and, even though you didn't verbally use those words, the yes was essentially implied. Yes, you can try that. And I'm going to be nearby in case you need help. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I should say some things are obviously a no. Like I'm not saying you should yes and everything with grownups or with children, right? Like we do have to be discerning what our children eat, 
keeping our children safe. Like that's our job as parents. And no is a very, in, in my mind, a very valuable tool. But the more yeses I give, the more my daughter seems to be okay with a no because she sees that I'm working with her. And that's that's ex- actually exactly what I was going to say. The no's actually become much more respected and tolerated because they don't hear it all the time. And if they hear no all the time, then a kid's job is to push that boundary and say, um, oh, you, you're going to say no to this? Well, then how about this? And then how about this? And then that's when a parent gets frustrated, a kid's frustrated, and we've got yelling or tears. You know, I think it, for, for anybody listening who maybe does not naturally have this approach with parenting, I would just say you can start off with a yes and and actually use the words if it's easier. Like, yes, it'd be really fun to climb a tree and I'm going to stand right underneath it to make sure you're safe, right? That would be like the most fundamental way to start. Just think, oh, yes, and yes, and. And then, of course, knowing that at times it's going to be no. But there's a lot more yeses. It's a it's really a parenting philosophy of mine. So I'm pretty passionate about it. And so I love that you have a chapter about it. And I love that you give exercises and ideas for people to try it because I find when I'm working with people that sometimes it just doesn't come naturally to them. And there's so many parents who just know to love their kids right now by really protecting them. It's not allowing for creativity and for curiosity and for the true meaning of learning through failure and all those things we want our kids to learn, but we're trying to protect them from the lessons that get them there. So I love that. I love this book. I want people to really... I think pick it up. It's not necessarily a parenting book, but I think it can be so helpful for us as adults, for us in our workplace, for dealing with even family situations, for dealing with a boss, um, and certainly for helping us um, get more playful and creative in our parenting. So I'm so glad that Eve introduced us. I don't know how you know Eve. How do you know Eve? Eve Brodsky we're talking about. She's the author of Fair Play and she interviewed Clay. And then when she was done, she was like, you need to interview him. You're going to love him. And Eve's always right. So how do you know her? It was just through a podcast. I did a podcast and I was talking about my book and they said, well, we we had Eve Brodsky on this podcast and we want the two of you to like really do things together because I feel like the two books in a way speak to each other and are super informative for moms and so, you know, it was through that that I, I found Eve and we did the Instagram live. Oh, so fun. And she's been super supportive. Like she, she's a great, sorry, but she's a great cheerleader. Um, she really is the essence of a, a supportive connector. You know, that's what my book is trying to say. And I think that's more important now than ever is whatever ways we can connect and not compete with each other. Like that's what improv is all about. And Eve really exemplifies that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've known Eve for a couple of years and uh, she is very, really, really supportive. And so um, she was right. I loved your book. Um, for anybody listening, <laughs> I really encourage you. Um, it's really an easy read. That's the other thing I'll just say about it. It doesn't have to be a linear in order kind of book. You can just go to the the chapter or the section that just speaks to you and just pop around. So Um, I think a lot of people sometimes like that. And so again, the book is Play Your Way Sane, 120 improv-inspired exercises to help you calm down, stop spiraling, and embrace uncertainty. Thank you, Clay, for being on. um, I'm now a big fan. 
Thank you so much, Cheryl. I've been a big fan and this means a lot. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So thanks for listening to Dr. Cheryl's podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe.